0: Today's episode is brought to you by Birthing Stone and their Baby Sleep Coaching Program. Birthing Stone's sleep coaches help you invest in a lifetime of good sleep for your little one and provide in-home, personalized support to help you reach your goals. Head over to motherbirth.co/slash/birthingstone for more information.
1: When they were putting me under, she goes, "You know where, girl? I go, girl." And then she puts the mask over me, and I like fight back to get the mask off. I'm like, "Her name's Willow." It felt so so important for me for them to know like this isn't just baby girl this she has a name and we felt like we knew her at that point we've been 20 days of like you know hours of hearing her heartbeat and reading books to
2: her we believe that not just babies are born mothers are born too we're your hosts laura a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife and melissa a mother and doula
0: welcome to mother birth a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mother Birth Today. Laura and I are here. We are uh, interviewing a special guest today who is going to be sharing with us her story of premature birth with her daughter that was born just a few months ago. So Ingrid, Ingrid is um, a, an acquaintance of mine from many years ago living in the Bay Area and I've been watching her journey into motherhood from afar and we're just so excited to to share her story with you guys today. So Ingrid, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yes, thank you um, so much for having me today. Um, I um started my journey to motherhood earlier this year. Um, my partner, Scott and I, we've been married for seven years and, um, decided to start trying, um, at the the beginning of the year and Mm -hmm. got pregnant right away. And, um, so really normal, you know, kind of normal start to it and, um, kind of led us here. Um, we ended up having my daughter willow at 26 weeks mm-hmm. and um so yeah i'm i'm excited to get into kind of our journey that led up to having her and then and then our stay in the nicu yeah
0: so i know that you guys have been really really open about your experience with willow's birth and your nicu stay and you know mm-hmm. watching it from afar has just been really really moving to just see the obviously the struggles, but also you know the joys and the triumphs that you guys have experienced. So, I'm curious, um, what you know with your with going into labor at 26 weeks. I, I I recall that there were some things going on that you you were. I don't know. I don't remember if you were on bed rest, but that you know there were some concerns yeah. that you guys were kind of mitigating. So, what what was what led up to her? to your labor and delivery and and what kind of things were you managing during your pregnancy?
1: Right. Well, I guess I should back up a little bit. Um, so prior to even getting pregnant or, or really even thinking about starting a family, I'd had some health issues in my early 20s. Um, I actually had a, a prolapsed rectum, which is um, kind of unusual for someone at 21 to, to deal with, but um, mm-hmm. was just kind of a structural. Um, issue with my body, and I ended up having some um, a surgery to correct that, and had my um, rectum s- stapled to my um, my sacrum, and then about twelve inches of my colon removed. Mm. And with that surgery, they had told me at the time they that it would probably not be a good idea for me to deliver vaginally, okay. just with the the pressure that it would put on um, mm-hmm. my lower intestines, and. And so we, we kind of followed up with that over the years. And, and I had had some ongoing issues with that. And it was determined that just to, to you know, kind of protect the, the integrity of that, um, that I would deliver um, and have a C-section. Mm-hmm. So I knew that going in. And so I think that was kind of the beginning. I mean, that was years before I even started thinking about having kids. But that was yeah. the beginning of kind of, um, I don't know, dealing with the grief of, You know what I imagined, you know my start to motherhood would look like, or what I I thought birth would look like. Mm -hmm. Um, So going into this pregnancy, that was really the only, not even complication, but just um, you know the only thing that I knew was that I would have a C section, and and I knew you know my I knew her her birth date, so I thought um, so really normal pregnancy. Other than that, um, we uh, I had you know normal. uh, morning sickness and things like that, but other than that, by, it it was really uneventful. And Scott and I were going to all of our appointments, and it was just every appointment was exciting and um, you know one more step closer to 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 meeting her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we went in for our twenty week anatomy scan, and by that time we knew we were having a girl, and everything looked normal. Um, my um, OB, there was just, she wasn't able to get, or the technician wasn't able to get um, one picture of her spine. Mm -hmm. And so she told us at the time, they're, you know, they're, they're pretty, you know, like they, they want us to make sure we get every picture. So there's a chance Mm -hmm. they may call you back in. So sure enough, my OB emailed me later that week and she says, everything looks great, but you know, we didn't get that one picture of the spine. So we'll need you to come back in. And so, Scott had been making every appointment, but he had a meeting the day that I scheduled my ultrasound and, and I said, that's okay. You know, I'll take my sister. I just had this sense that everything was fine. And, you know, this was just going to be like one more chance to see, you know, our daughter. Um, and so my sister came with me, um, we were taking like selfies in the, in the room, you know, just, just really, it was just a fun, yeah, fun, um, appointment, we were chatting with the technician. She was really sweet and um, we were just having a really good time. And, um, towards the end of that appointment, she, the technician said, you know, while you're here, I'm just going to kind of poke around and, and make sure everything looks good. And, um, then she kind of got silent and it got kind of quiet and she's like, well, you know, it kind of looks like your cervix is opening. Um, and at that point I really didn't understand mm-hmm. what that meant. I I was, you know, like, oh, okay. Um, you know, like thinking like that wasn't really that remarkable. And um so she said, I'm gonna step out and get, you know, I want to do a transvaginal ultrasound and just kind of and just kind of make sure everything's fine. And um when she came back in and you know, she says, you know, it's it's kind of inconclusive, um, but I'm gonna call over to L and D and just and have them just send someone over with a wheelchair. At that point, I'm like, okay, well, you know, it turned to my sister. I'm like, maybe call Scott and like have him yeah. come over. <laughs> this doesn't really seem yeah. that normal. Um, and then she, the technician was talking to me and she's like asking for more information. And she's like, it's so good that you can, you know, you can talk about this and you're not hysterical. And at that point, like when she said like, it's good that you're not hysterical, it was like my clue that like, okay, something's mm. not right. And, you know, like, should right. I be hysterical? Um so they sent over a wheelchair and, and I started to get up and she's like, no, 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 like scoot over. And they had me like scoot onto the wheelchair. And um, from that point on, it was pretty clear that um, that it was serious. I got moved into triage and um, Scott met me there right away. He got there pretty quick. And um, at that point it was 23 weeks and one day. So they did the exam and the, the doctor asked me, how confident I was that mm-hmm. I was 23 weeks. And I was, you know, I I knew when my last period was, you know, I knew when we had started trying. So I told her, I was like, I'm I'm confident that this is, you know, um, where I'm at gestationally. Because as, as you guys know, 24 weeks is considered viability and yeah. 23 is this gray zone. Mm-hmm. So um, we met with a neonatologist and... Had that really hard conversation of what it looks like mm-hmm. to deliver at twenty three weeks. Um, at that point, I was one to two centimeters dilated, but eighty percent effaced, and um, my um, bag of water was bulging. So I wasn't a candidate for a cerclage, and um, they moved me up to antepartum mm-hmm. and they um, started me on, you know all the steroids, the magnesium sulfate, um, and just basically tried to 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 stop, you know, preterm labor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um once I got moved into antipartum I started having contractions and I really didn't like I wouldn't have called them contractions yeah. if I didn't know that's what they were. Um you know, I would have thought this was just kind of gas or um, you know, it was uncomfortable, but I didn't have like a name for it and they had, you know, they're monitoring me with the, the Doppler for the, for her heart and, you know, measuring or monitoring the contractions. And um, so we ended up, I ended up making it 20 days in antepartum wow. and, yeah. which is amazing. Um, and so you're in, you're,
0: um, you're just in one place, bed rest.
1: Yeah. One place. Yeah. They had me in something called, um, Trendelenburg, which is like inverted a little bit. So my, my head was lower than my, my legs. And it was funny. So each, each time a new doctor would come and shift, they'd kind of, you know, like take a look at my case and go like, no, she doesn't need to be on Trendelenburg. That doesn't really, you know, that's not really been shown to, to make any difference. And another doctor would come in and say like, it can't hurt. Um, And I told them I was willing to stand on my head. I would do anything to keep, you know,
2: keep her in. Yeah. Um, That can be so frustrating though, because you feel like you get a different story every day. I think that.
1: Right. And that, that was hard. um, And especially like having been um, examined down in triage. And then with, with, you know, my cervix, they didn't want to do any, you know, any examinations if they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. So it was such a, like a waiting game of like, am I dilating further? Am I progressing um, and having doctors treat me that hadn't examined me yet? And um so yeah, that that part was really hard. yeah, um,
0: yeah I think that's that's one of the most challenging parts about you know, that model of care in general is just the lack of continuity of care. And I think that when you're in that situation, Mm -hmm. and like you said, you're in antepartum for 20 days, like that's going to be elevated to a whole new level of just feeling that just, you know, the disjointedness of it all.
1: Right. And I think like the saving grace in my experience was the antepartum nurses. So I was in a hospital that actually had designated nurses um, that cared for the antepartum patients. And I would have occasionally, um, nurses that were from L and D in, and in my experience, the antepartum, um, nurses were just much more, um, relational. They were, they were used to having, um, patients there kind of for, for the long mm-hmm. haul mm-hmm. and they were amazing. They, um, I think that that continuity, and I was able to request the same nurses. So I had about five nurses, um, that just kind of rotated. And that was, it was so important for me, because they knew my journey from the beginning. Yeah. And so much had changed by the time 20 weeks or 20, 20 days. Um, but they they knew like the subtleties of, you know, um, what maybe what was normal and what wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, that was really important, especially because it wasn't always the same doctors yeah. um, examining me.
0: Yeah. So So were you able to go to your local hospital or was this uh, a further away hospital that you had to go to, to be able to get this kind of care?
1: We were lucky enough. Um, the, um, the place that I had had my ultrasound was the hospital I would have delivered at. So they just wheeled me over to the next building. Um, it was equipped with a level three NICU. So, um, we were able to stay there, um, while I was pregnant. And then also, um, once my daughter came, Mm -hmm. um, and that was really, um, really fortunate too. And it was, you know, a 20 minute drive for us, which is, um, we were really fortunate for that when we were going back and forth from the NICU.
0: Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember, well, I'm sure we'll get lots more into this, but I remember when we were talking about, you know, scheduling you for the show and you were talking about like (laughs) being in the NICU for like 14 hours, like you know, yeah. it's I, I just think it's yeah. I think it's so crazy to think about
1: being in the NICU, you know, for that amount of time was crazy. But when we were in antepartum, Scott, my husband, stayed with me the whole time. So he brought in a um, blow up mattress and just camped out in the room with me and, and never left. Yeah. So we were we were really like a month before that, even our NICU stayed. We, we felt like
2: we lived in the hospital yeah. for forever. Yeah. Um, that can be so hard on you in so many ways, I think for people who can't maybe stay together, it's difficult, but also it's just such an altered reality to live in a place. that's not your home that is where people are constantly examining you and you have rules to follow and all that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was really tough. And um, the anti-pardon that I was, at actually had a support group, um, which I was fortunate enough to be able to go to, they just wheeled me, wheeled me over there. And I was able to meet other women that were, um, in similar positions to me. And, and we would call each other from the rooms after and, and just talk. Yeah. And and I remember one of the, one of the, um, women saying she'd been there maybe a week and a half longer than me. And she was saying like, it feels like prison. Like in so many ways, it was like, um, you know, like not being able to leave and, um, and then also feeling like this is the safest place for you. Um, yeah. In in my in my um, in my case, um, and that was one of the things that was tough when we um, got admitted. the The doctor that had examined me had said, "You know, my bag of water was bulging, and it looked like it was funneling." Um, and so I had a, a perinatologist. Um, um, who was who was working with me? Um, a few days after I had um been admitted, and she had awful like bedside manner. She'd come in and she she'd wear her purse when she she came in to talk with me, and it just made it was so like disempowering and and made me feel like not important at all. Um, and she she wanted to send me home. She said, you know, like we'll we'll keep you a couple more days, but really, there's no reason. Um you know, for you to be here. And I just had this sense, like, this is where I need to be. This is the most, like, this is the safest place for me. Um, and I think partly that was from the triage doctor who, who had examined me. She had said, like, you know, in your case, it's probably best if you stay here. Yeah. Um, and so um, that that was a real struggle, like wanting to leave, but feeling like this is the safest place for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had nurses um, that really helped me to, to advocate for myself. You know, they said, if, if you feel like this is the safest place for you, you're going to have to really push for that. And um, and so at one point I told the doctor I was going to chain myself to the bed. <laughs> she sent me home mm-hmm. and, um, and she reexamined me the day she was going to send me home. And they found that the position of where my daughter's cord was um with my bag funneling there was a risk of um her cord prolapsing yeah. and so she she decided you know it would be safest for me to be there um so that was kind of that was a weird turn of events like feeling like I was validated like okay this is the safest place for me and now like feeling like what have i done yeah. like not, i could have i could have gone home and i think i had like another 2 weeks after that 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 i made it um So I went to the antepartum support group. And when I got back, I asked one of the nurses, I said, you know, my doctor had said something about a cord prolapse. Like, what does that mean? What would that look like? Um, Because I, I, I really wanted to understand, you know, like what, what the progression would look like, like, because they had told me from the day I got there, you could go in, you could have around an hour. It could be a week. Like we don't have a magic ball. Like, you know, they're we don't know. Um, and so, which was terrifying to live like each, you know, minute by minute that way. Um, so I talked to this nurse and she was, um, really thorough in like what the kind of the worst case scenario would look like. And, um, like down to, you know, a ton of doctors rushing in, um, them, you know, sticking, you know, their hand inside me and just making sure that if a cord were to prolapse, um, And that Scott wouldn't be able to come in. It would be emergency C-section. He wouldn't be able to come in, like all these details. And it was really helpful for us both to kind of, for Scott and I to kind of know, okay, like this is the worst case scenario. Like this is what would happen. Um, And to feel a little bit more um, prepared for that. And so um, 20 weeks and or 20 days into my stay there, I um, developed choreo and so i had um a uh, i started feeling nauseous my contractions were getting a little stronger and i had a a temperature and um the nurse that had been there when i first was admitted chris she was there that day and she was really one of the the nurses that was um just amazing at at kind of making it feel less like a hospital and more like these are just people that that are caring for me and you know that that you know, are really invested in, in making sure that, um, that, you know, we make it to hopefully our goal is 34 mm-hmm. weeks. Um, so the, so I, I started feeling nauseous and I, I asked her, I said, you know, would you take my temperature? I'm just not really feeling like I'm feeling warm. And she took my temperature and they, um, they, they suspected, um, you know, maybe an infection and they sent for, um, the, uh, to do an ultrasound. Um, and at that time there was a lot of, um, births going on in L and D. And so it took a while for them to get the ultrasound machine up. And by the time they did like minutes before they, they, um, wheeled it in, I felt my water Mm -hmm. breaking. And, um, I looked at Chris and I just said like, you know, I can feel it. Like my water is breaking right now. And she says, it's okay. That doesn't mean anything. You know, we can keep people pregnant, um, with your water break, you know, once your water breaks, that doesn't mean, you know, and so they wheeled in the, um, the ultrasound and as they were, um, you know, as they were looking and Scott was right there, they watched my cord prolapse into my vagina on the ultrasound. And so at that point it was emergency C-section and, um, everything happened really fast. Um, you know, um, like code, code C, all all the, you know, doctors rush in and were wheeled in my bed. They put me in Trendelenburg, um, to, you know, and down into um into the um mm-hmm. OR. And um my nurse Chris, I grabbed her hand and I didn't let go and she had another patient and she she passed, you know, she she asked another nurse to um to take care of her and she went into the operating room with me. And I think that was one of the things that made it easier is I had built this relationship with this nurse and Scott not being able to be in the room, um, knowing that there was someone that, you know, had, you know, had been there um, from the day that I came in and wasn't leaving and was going to make sure that we were mm-hmm. okay, um, was, was so important to me. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: Wow. That's great.
1: Yeah. So, um, so we, we made it to the operating room and the doctors are kind of like with kid gloves trying to tell Scott that he can't be in there. And he's like, no, 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 I know. Like, I already know that's fine. Um, which I think was, was really good for him. I can't imagine if he had been told like, Yeah. yeah, like I can't imagine how hard that would have been. So, um. They, so as they're putting me under, they're asking me, um, you know, is, oh, is it a boy or girl? And I, I told them, oh, it's a girl. And one of the things when Scott and I first had made it to triage, um, they asked us if we had a name and we didn't have a name. We were like on different planets with names. Um, and there was one name that we'd been like kind of throwing out. Um, and so like they say like, she could be here in an hour. Do you guys have a name? And we kind of both looked at each other and we were like, okay, Willow. We're like, that's the Mm -hmm. name. Um, And so when they were putting me under, she goes, you know, boy or girl, I go girl. And then she puts the mask over me and I like fight back to get the mask off. I'm like, her name's Willow. It felt so so important for me, for them to know, like this isn't just baby girl, This she has a name. And we felt like we knew her at that point. We'd been 20 days of like, you know, hours of hearing her heartbeat and reading books to her and, you know, um, hearing her, you know, thumping against the, the Doppler. And so, it, you know, she, we felt like she was in the room with yeah. us at that point. And, um, so, um, yeah, so, so that, that's kind of the journey up until her being born. I just have um, goosebumps <laughs> from,
0: from you describing yeah. that scene. And it's, I think it's, you know, people end up in that room, you know, under those circumstances for a lot of different reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. but just for, you know, everything that you describe about, about your story just really, really shows how, how present and how intuitive you were about it. And I just feel like You've described multiple moments where you know it, feel, it almost feels like you knew what was happening before a doctor told you, even though you wouldn't necessarily know mm-hmm. what it was or what it meant. You you could just tell that you right. know this this moment is important or what's happening to me is you know is significant for one reason or another. And I, I just I, I just love that moment of you in the OR and you're just you just know what's important and mm-hmm. it's, yeah, got I got chills yeah. from that.
1: And I think, like I think, a lot of that was the nurses kind of giving me that role and allowing me to have a say in in some of that. Um, they would, you know, they were really empowering um, and and honoring of my kind of like what I thought was going on or my intuition. And we had this same experience in the NICU. And I know that that's not always the case for people. And I'm I'm grateful that that was that that's part of our story. Is that um, I feel like they really went um, sort of, they, they made an effort for Scott and I to feel like parents and to feel like Mm -hmm. we, um, we had a say and, and that what we, what we said was important, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, and so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah.
0: That's incredible. So you have, you have the emergency C-section and obviously they, they take Willow immediately to the NICU. What did that, what did that period right after? Cause I assume you were um, under general anesthesia.
1: I was, and I was actually, um, I was, they gave me quite a bit. They wanted, because from the time that she was, from the time I prolapsed to the time she was born was something like seven minutes. It was incredible how fast they, they, they worked and um, they wanted to make sure I was out um, so that they could get her out. Um, and so I had a really hard time coming out of anesthesia and, and was, was having apneic episodes. So I would stop breathing and, and Scott was like right there in recovery. And he'd, he'd like, you know, have to squeeze my hand and be like, you know, take a breath. And like, and I'd go like, I am. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> um, um, and he was amazing. He sat with me. So when, when Willow was first born um, he ran down to the NICU mm-hmm. and um she came out screaming, which is amazing for 26 weeks. Um, She was born exactly 26 weeks. And um, I think that that really shows, like a lot of, you know, the steroids and and just, you know, the the medication that I was given when I first came in, um, you know, she, it made a difference for her. Mm -hmm. And um, so she, um, she was intubated, you know, right after um, they, they delivered her, but by the time that she was down in the NICU, she was um, on CPAP, so she was twenty three percent room air. Mm-hmm. And um, they, I think that they they called it like the first twenty four to forty eight hours are kind of like this honeymoon honeymoon stage for for preemies. At least that's what our our um, the neonatologist was describing it mm-hmm. to us. Is that they typically don't. Kind of take a turn until after maybe a day or two. Um, so we were cautiously optimistic. She was doing really well, um, but you know, again, knowing that you know things can change really quickly. Um, so Scott came back up with me and and stayed with me until I um, was able to leave recovery, which wasn't until um, three in the morning. It, it took me that long, so I had her at six seventeen at night, and I didn't leave. Um, or recovery until, um, mm-hmm. three in the morning. Cause I mm-hmm. was having such a hard time coming out of general wow. anesthesia. So, um, I didn't get to see her until the next morning about seven thirty. Mm-hmm. And, um, so with my, um, incision with, um, because they had to do an emergency C-section and because of her positioning, um, they did a classical oh, wow. C-section. Yeah. So, um, my recovery was a lot. Um, I guess it was just difficult, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it was really painful. Um, and so, you know, I was wheeled down to the NICU, but I, it took so much strength just to get out of bed and get into a wheelchair to go down to the NICU. Um, I mean, I would have walked on fire to go see her, but it was, um, you know, it was really hard, um, that next morning.
2: Yeah. And for people who don't know what that means, it means that instead of having an incision that went horizontally on the abdomen, which is common with C-sections, um, Ingrid had one that went vertical. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine sitting and having an incision that goes up your stomach, how difficult that would be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so today's episode is brought to you by Birthing Stone and their baby sleep coaching program. Tiffany Decker, who's a friend of ours, is the founder of the company and a birth and postpartum doula, and she realized that the biggest need her families were facing was depletion and exhaustion. So she set out to find the right tools to help them get great sleep as a family. She ended up becoming a Mommy Wise certified sleeping coach. If you have a baby, you know how confusing the sleep issue is, you desperately want to get some sleep, but you also want to be sensitive to your baby's emotional and physical needs. And if you go on the internet, you're going to read a million different conflicting things, add exhaustion to the mix, and it's easy to just do what you've always been doing, even if it's not really working. Tiffany and her team at Birthing Stone offer the most personalized baby sleep support that is available. They come into your home and they help you identify your personal goals around sleep what your baby's developmental needs and even personality are and they provide in the moment feedback and guidance as you work together to figure out what is actually going to work for your family to get the best possible sleep. Tiffany helped my daughter and I a few months ago and it changed everything. I was so worried it would be a rigid program that would make me feel dependent on something external but instead I felt so intuitive and I feel so intuitive about my daughter's sleep needs and I know how to adapt as she grows and changes. Being well rested means that we both thrive and we're enjoying our together so much more. Birthingstone offers their services all along the West Coast, primarily in Portland, Seattle, and the Santa Barbara areas. To find out if this is the right fit for you and your family, you can complete a quick application for a thorough assessment of your family's needs and goals. So head over to
1: motherbirth.co/slash birthingstone for more info. So um so we will, you know, they will me down there and um getting to see her. So Willow was, um, she was tiny when she was born. Um, she was one pound, 14.7 ounces. And, um, I'd never, I'd never seen a baby that small. Um, and it was, I was, I, I was really worried that I wasn't going to feel like a connection to her. Um, I think that's a really common fear Mm
2: -hmm.
1: with, um, you know, delivering prematurely, especially when, um, you can't hold them and touch them. Um, that, you know, how am I going to feel bonded or attached to this, this baby? And, um, seeing her, it was like all of those fears went out the window. Um, she was, and I remember, I don't know why this was so important, but I told everyone I, everyone I came in contact with after I, I, you know, after she was born, like she has my fingers. Um, you know, like, you know, like she had these long fingers and tiny little, you know, fingernails. And that was like the one thing that I could recognize as, as being something Mm -hmm. like of mine. Um, and it was like, it just gave me so much comfort. Like, this is my baby. Um, you know, she has my Mm -hmm. hands. And, um, so the, the first, um, the first three or four days we were in the hospital with her. Um, I was recovering from a C-section and, um, we would go down as much as we could and be with her. Um, she had care times every three hours, but we couldn't, um, like change a diaper or, um, take her temperature or anything, um, until every six hours. Cause, um, they wanted to prevent as much stimulation as possible. So, um, you know, we had to talk really quietly. There were all these things that we learned about um, what having a baby born that early looks like and, and what um, kind of our role as parents can be. But then also, you know, some of the things that we need to be mindful of, like her stress responses and and cues that um, maybe wouldn't be for a normal baby, but for her, like if she yawned, that was her way of saying like, she's had too much, she's overstimulated Um, if she got the hiccups, um, she put up her hand, like a stop sign. Those are all, um, you know, ways for us as as parents or even like the nurses to know, like, okay, we need to like back off. She's, she's overstimulated. Mm -hmm. Um, and so learning that it was kind of a balance of, um, you know, like wanting to, like wanting to interact with her, but also really wanting, um, to respect and, and her job was just to like grow and, um, you know, survive, and she she was working so hard to do that.
0: So, in those moments where you were able to spend time with her, were you able to hold her? What was the soonest you were able to actually hold her?
1: So, it kind of started with um, when I first came down there. I had been um, I had been um, hand expressing, so I was getting some colostrum within the first 12 hours, and I was pumping, you know, right away. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my milk came in within 12 hours. Um, You know, a lot of it was colostrum, but I got, you know, like little drops. Yeah, at first. Um, So I was actually able to give her drops on a Q-tip. That was my first interaction with her was, um, uh, you know, feeding her little tiny drops in her mouth. Um, And that helps with like building antibodies for her. Um, She couldn't take any breast milk for the first- probably, you know, at least three or four days, maybe you've been weak. She, she wasn't taking anything, um, through her feeding tube. It was just the drops that she was getting. And then they were giving her something called, um, total parenteral nutrition, which is, um, you know, to, it, it bypasses the, um, it gets that it was fed through her, um, umbilical, okay, umbilical yeah. cord, mm-hmm. um, through a feeding tube in her umbilical cord. And, and, um, so, and then, um, because she had she had um, really high um, Billy Rubin levels, so she had jaundice. Um, she was on photo mm-hmm. phototherapy, um, and we weren't able to hold her because of that. Um, and and so we actually had to wait nine days before we could actually mm-hmm. hold her. Um, and each day they would say like, "We're going to see how she's doing," and you know, like maybe you can hold her, um, and. You know, it was again. It was that balance of like wanting to hold her so bad, but also like wanting she'd been through so much, and like there's no rush. Like I, you know, like I wanted her to yeah. to be ready, and I didn't want to overwhelm her and overstimulate her. Um, yeah. So th- you know, that was a really hard thing to um, to reconcile. Like wanting to be so close, but also um, you know, wanting to honor her fight and, yeah, and what it's so she was similar going through. Yeah.
0: to your antipartum stay where you you have this desire obviously to go home, you know, you have this desire obviously to to hold your daughter and have this normative experience mm-hmm. of, you know, bonding and yet you know that these are the safest circumstances for you and for your daughter. It's just yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, it, and it's tough. It, it's so unnatural not to hold mm-hmm. your baby and um So, so she, she had a really good first, I would say like maybe two weeks. Um, so we were able to hold her at nine days Mm -hmm. and, um, it was like magical. Um, we came in and, um, we had a new doctor on, um, and he, he said, you haven't held your baby yet. Like, we're going to make that happen today. And I was Mm -hmm. so excited. Um, I actually, we have, um, close friends that live less than a mile, um, from the hospital. And I, I like was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I get to hold her. And she had a care time coming up. And so I like ran over to their house and showered. i like wanted to be like, I don't know, like it, that felt like important to me. Like I wanted to be clean and like, you know, like not have any like scent on me or, you know, like any perfume or I wasn't wearing perfume anyways, but like, and that was just like one of these things that like I didn't know what to do yeah. my, with myself for the next <laughs> two hours before I got to hold her
0: it's like a day um, like'
1: I'm nervous definitely.
2: so I come yeah, exactly. yeah.
1: <laughs> it totally was like I, I wanted to impress her and um so yeah so we got to hold her and we had um I'm so grateful for like the NICU nurses that that kind of came into our path so the nurse that we had that day was um, a huge part of my um my journey later on with breastfeeding. But at that point um, withholding her, she wanted to make it as peaceful for Willow as possible. So she taught me how to pick Willow up from her isolate instead of them handing her to me, like reaching down, they brought the isolate as, you know, as close to my chest as possible, like an inch I bent over. And so that she didn't have too far to go, you know, um, and, just put her up against my breasts and brought her, carried her back to the chair with me. Um, And she's still hooked up to all of her, you know, CPAP machine. And, you know, she's got tons of wires and stuff, but it felt much more um, natural than kind of the sterile, um, you know, like them handing me this, Mm -hmm. this baby. Um, And I'm so grateful for that experience because that's how we were taught. And so that's how we did it. And we'd have nurses that like tried to hand her to us and we're like, no, 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 no. We, we like, yeah. we pick her up yeah. and they're like, oh, that's great. It's so good that you feel comfortable doing that. But that's the way we were taught. And I'm yeah. so grateful for that. Um, so, and this nurse put on music and I, so we we get to, I got to hold her for an hour and, and it was kind of like we're gonna see how well she tolerates this. So it could have been five minutes. They really just yeah. but they like to go an hour because it is stressful for them to to be held and so they want to make sure that they have time to kind of um, you know like you know settle in and and have that good bonding um, experience because it's the kangaroo care is, has been shown to be so helpful for the babies themselves. I mean it was amazing for me. It was good for my milk supply. It was good for like, you know, um, my, like my mood and everything, but it's, it's really powerful for, um, yeah. for the babies. They, they, um, they really thrive off that. So, um, for the first probably month, it was once a day we got to hold her and Scott was, um, you know, he, we, he was able to take a month off work. Um, he took, some time off while I was in antepartum and just worked from when he when he wasn't able to um, be off from work. He just worked there. He was fortunate that he has a job where he can work remote. So he was just working in, in the hospital room with me. And um, he took the first month off um, after she was born. And so we were there. We'd get there for her earliest care time, um, which started at 8.30. So we'd usually get there about 7.45 in the morning And there were days we didn't leave until 10.30 at night. Um, We were typically there for about 12 hours. Um, And so they were long days. Um, And your life kind of revolves around um, these care times. So after probably the first um, three weeks, we were able to do care times every three hours where we actually got to take her temperature, change her diaper, give her the food on the Q-tip. And be involved. She was stable enough that she she could be touched every three hours. Um, and so, when we weren't um, doing that, the care times we were sitting by her bed, you know, watching her um, in her isolate. And um, and sometimes they'd have the cover over it because it's less stimulating to have light and stuff. So sometimes we couldn't even see her. But just knowing that she was there and knowing that if anything happened, we were right there. Um, you know. And and it was great because the doctors would make their rounds and we were always able to, to get um, to check in with the doctors every day and hear how she was doing. And um, so we were really involved in that um, and kind of her her journey um, from the beginning.
2: I think it must be so difficult to kind of figure out everything day to day. Ingrid, it sounds like you guys really created a lot of space to be gracious with yourself too and learn and kind of participate as much as possible. I think it can be really easy to feel like kind of like you felt in the annapartum. There's just a lot of barriers, but Mm -hmm. getting to participate in those care and being available to that really changes the way you, you participate in that early part of y'all story together as mom and daughter. And I, yeah. And I think, and that I,
1: from what I've read, like the NICU, it's definitely moving towards Mm -hmm. that of really wanting to be more family centered and, and involving parents, um, because there's such value in that. And I think if we weren't given the opportunity to have a say in some of her, um, you know, to just feel like we were participants and, um, and the doctors always were really thorough in explaining what they were doing and, um, weighing some of the, um, interventions they were considering we we felt like we were part of that discussion from the beginning and I can't imagine um you know how hard it would be if um you know if we felt like we were on the outside um and I know that that this isn't always the case with with families and you know Scott and I both um were fortunate that we were able to be there we lived 20 minutes away um he was able to work um remotely and and his work was gracious to give him a month, you know, that first month. Um, but we know that that's not always the case. And, um, you know, so that that can be a real struggle. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's not that parents don't want to be there. You know, it's, it's that, you know, not always able to be. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um,
0: and I think it is a combination of, you know, the limitations that you might have in your personal life, whether that's job or, proximity or all of these kinds of things that you're mentioning. But I think it is also when you combine that with, you know, sort of the inaccessibility that the NICU has historically had, I think Mm -hmm. it just really compounds that problem. And, and I love that NICUs are becoming so much more family friendly, like you're describing, because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're the one that has to take her home, you know, you're the one that has to care for her. And I know recently there was this article that was, you know, shared around the internet about how, how like much of a challenge it is for parents of NICU babies to take those babies home. Like they Mm -hmm. have, and you know, I'm sure that the longer that child is in the NICU, the more that that sort of intensifies because you not only do you have all this pent up worry about, you know, how your child is doing and and all these different factors that, that are contributing to their, you know, their survival and their, their growth and their success as a, you know, as a NICU baby. Mm -hmm. And yet, and then, and yes, you're, you're participating to whatever extent you're participating, but then all of a sudden one day cold Turkey, it's like, it's just all you.
1: Right. And that's, and that's something that I think I, I had a lot of anxiety leading up to, um, kind of the idea of bringing Willow home. Like, how am I going to handle this? Um, because to me there was, we, we loved Nico's, um, Willow's primary, um, nurses. Um, she had amazing, I mean, nurses that cared for her, like they were her own. And, um, mm-hmm. and it's so part of me was I, there was a relational component for me, um, going in there and seeing them every day. And, you know, like, um, you know and feeling like i was going to be losing that and then also feeling like i'm going to be responsible for this you know this baby that um is medically fragile and um i'm not going to have you know the um heart rate monitors and resources yeah, yeah. the pulse ox and you know um her you know everything that that tells me that she's doing okay like it's going to be really up to me to know and mm-hmm. i'm glad that um in willow's case the the nurses really like t- probably towards around maybe 30 weeks once when, when she kind of turned a corner and was and was starting to and she was like starting to be more stable they really like taught us okay don't look at the monitors look at her like when she desats or she has you know an episode look at her and look at her coloring cuz that's how you're going to know at home how she's right. doing you're not going to have these monitors so great. um yeah, and really so yeah learning to trust your intuition and they were huge advocates for that. If they caught us looking at the monitors they'd be like, "Nope, don't look at the monitors, look at her." Um and so I'm glad that we had that training um kind of weeks in um to to um to, for the transition home. I think it helped yeah. a lot.
0: That sounds amazing. Yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah. So um so yeah, we um Overall, Willow, she was born at 26 weeks. Um, she was given steroids, you know, before she was born, so that certainly helped. Um, but in terms of sort of her journey as a as a NICU baby or as a, a you know a baby born at that gestation, she did really well. Um, she she did have a she does have a PDA, which um, is a um, it's patent ductus arter. Eritor- Arteriosis, um mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a hole. Um, and Laura, you probably understand this a little bit better than You're I. You're doing do. great. <laughs> a hole um, in in her artery between her heart and her lungs. So in the womb, it, it it's open because we don't need to breathe. And then oftentimes when babies are born, um, it closes either right before birth or or shortly after. And and prematurity and um, babies that are born premature, um, mm-hmm. it sometimes remains open. So she had a loud murmur, which is what um, kind of indicated that she had this PDA and an ultrasound um, confirmed it. So that was probably the the, the most difficult um, part of her journey is, is whether they were going to do surgery to close the PDA, um, so ligate, or kind of take a wait and see approach. And two weeks into her stay, she started Having some difficulty breathing, um, needing more um, more oxygen and respiratory support, and um, having um, what's called apnea and bradycardia episode. So apnea, she she would stop breathing, and then bradycardia, her heart rate would dip. Mm -hmm. And it was it became normal the the longer that we we were there over our stay. We were there seventy two days to have these episodes, Mm -hmm. but when it first happened. the nurses would have to come in and stimulate her like, and it would happen while we were holding her. So she'd have her all of a sudden the monitors would alarm and her heart rate would go down really low. She, she wouldn't be breathing and they'd have to stimulate her like rubbing her back really, really aggressively. Um, and that's something that, you know, like when it first happened was terrifying. Um, and it's still something that, you know, looking back um, I think that's probably one of the, one of the reasons it is so um kind of alluring to to look at the monitors because they tell you so much about you know what's going on um and it it takes a lot of trust to to be able to look at her and go like okay she's coming out of it i can tell her coloring's coming back you know her lips are you know they're starting to get color back to them and and to trust that you're making that the right judgment call you know um Mm -hmm. so um so in the end um we monitored the PDA and and she did have to go on some more, um, uh, in intensive, um, breathing support. It was still non-invasive. So she was never intubated, but she did need, um, need some, um, some more support with that. Um, but like around 30, 31 weeks, she started to, um, to kind of turn a corner and, um, we ended up not doing the surgery. It was something that was constantly, um, kind of a conversation that we'd have like daily, whether or not we were trending towards that or, um, or not. And, um, but in the end she, um, she, her, her, she was doing better. And so they, they weren't feeling like they needed to put her through something so stressful at that point. So it was kind of like pushed to the back burner. Yeah. Um, and some of the other things that, you know, typically um, premature babies, at, you know, at this stage might have um, retroopathy of prematurity, which is um, abnormal um, growths in the blood vessels of their um, retina. So oftentimes being exposed to oxygen um, can contribute to that. Um, Willow's um, had several eye exams throughout her stay in the NICU and, and she was cleared shortly before coming home that she didn't have any, um, ROP and just different things that, um, we were really kind of like holding our breath for She just kept kind of coming out. And, and, um, so at one point her, her, um, neonatologist, when we were talking about the PDA and Scott and I were really worried, he looks at us and he goes, you need to realize like, she's a miracle baby, you know, like she's born at 26 weeks and she's doing so good. Like she's a miracle and we were both like kind of stunned that this was coming from a doctor, like we're like, because we thought she was a miracle, but to hear it, um, you know, and coming from him, we were like, oh yeah, that's right, she is. Um, and that's that's really kind of been her the narrative of, of her her experience. I would say is just um, you know she 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 did so well. Um, yeah. So
0: you were in the NICU for seventy two days.
1: We were in the NICU for 72 days. Um, she came off breathing support around 33 weeks um, or 34 weeks, actually, because I started recreation recreation breastfeeding at 34 weeks, um, which is just to kind of help build her strength um, around suck, swallow, breathe. And um, and she had to be off breathing support um, or she, she was off breathing support at that point um, for, for me to start, start doing that. So, yeah, yeah, and, and that was a huge, um, an emotional day for me. I, you know, breastfeeding was something that I was, you know, that, that was important to me being able to feed her my breast milk and being able to have, I had a good supply, which isn't always the case, especially with, um, you know, the amount of pumping that, you know, is required, um, while being in the NICU and, and all of that stuff. It's, um, you know, a lot of moms aren't able to, um, to build up a supply like that, whether it just doesn't come in or, um, you know, so I felt grateful that that was a you know, a, a hurdle that I had to kind of overcome, but then I really wasn't sure if she was going to be able to latch and, and what that would look like, um, yeah. in terms of breastfeeding. Um, and again, I'm so grateful for the, the nurses that were kind of in our corner, um, we, had one of her primary nurses, uh, was a lactation consultant as well. So she was huge in um, helping me to um, introduce um, breastfeeding before ever, you know, introducing a bottle um, and just kind of how to how to make it a smoother transition yeah. for Willow. How did,
0: how did it come together? Were you guys able to to establish breastfeeding? Was that is so, that kind of an ongoing it, thing? It's
1: an ongoing thing. Um, but she, so she has a really strong latch and I, I worked with um, lactation consultants to do weighted feeds. So we would, you know, weigh her right before mm-hmm. and then right after and then um, give her her bottle um, to kind of supplement with whatever she was getting. And, you know, sometimes she would get like five milliliters or, you know, okay. um, sometimes she would get none. Um, and so, um, from what I've, from what I understand, um, especially with premature babies, sometimes it can take up to uh, a month or more after um, their due date for them to kind of really get the coordination between suck, swallow, breathe mm-hmm. um, for breastfeeding. Um, so it's something that we're still um, we're still working on. I breastfeed her at each um, each time that she she eats, and then I give her a bottle. And she'll take whatever she she needs to take from the bottle. Um, yeah, and then hopefully eventually wean off of that and and just do exclusively breastfeeding. But, um, I'm grateful kind of just for where we're at right now, and,
0: yeah. I mean, you you've had so many challenges, you know, kind of at the the start of this all that I think, just giving yourself the, you know, the grace, and this is true for every mama, but just the grace to know that, like, however it unfolds is how it Mm -hmm. unfolds. And you are doing so much. And so, you know, you're doing so much good for her. And, Mm -hmm. you know, whether she ever transitions to exclusively breastfeeding or not, like, you know, it's just, it will, it will be what it will be.
1: Yeah. And I think that kind of, that idea of like, I'm doing enough or I am enough was important to me. Like from the beginning of this journey, I, it was really hard not to feel like a failure. Like when you deliver at 26 weeks to not feel like your body's failed you in this incredible way. And, um, that you failed, you know, like that I let her down. I wasn't able to protect her and to watch her suffer And struggle and feel like I wish I could trade places with her. I wish I could have lasted longer was really hard. And it took a lot of kind of reframing, you know, both myself and also the, the nurses were amazing. And, um, anytime I would share, you know, that I was upstairs and we made it 20 days, they would go, Oh my gosh, you made it 20 days. You saved her, you know, Mm -hmm. and they were they were so affirming that, you know, like, I had done this amazing job. And I think that that really helped me, like, in the narrative that I was kind of writing about, like, our stay um, in my head, like, yeah, that, you know, like, that was enough. Like, that was, you know, I, I wished it was more, but, um, you know, that that I didn't, that I didn't feel her. Um,
0: yeah, and so. that it was completely out of your hands. Like, these are not choices you made. This is, this is how she came, you know?
1: Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so difficult. Like you said, it takes a lot of reframing. But I also think, you know, even when you shared at the beginning, like you went in, you know, 20 years old, you knew, like, I'm never going to have a vaginal birth. And then mm-hmm. having that ultrasound and getting moved to LD and fi- finding out, like, well, now I'm just not going to have like a normal birth. Right. You know, right. And, and maybe I won't have a normal baby. And you kind of like open mm-hmm. yourself up to all these things that aren't going any kind of storybook way but I think mm-hmm. it's so great that you've found ways to realize the ways in which you, like you really became a mom in those moments and you were already mm-hmm. taking care of her as a mom in that anapartum stay and all the things that you've done so far and I think that that's such a difficult to think thing to wrap your mind around when you when you are I mean like it's a struggle and I think you've done a good job mm-hmm. of being affirming of the things that felt really good in this process, but it's a struggle to watch her baby struggle to breathe and to learn how to do things on her own and Mm -hmm. and hope for that. And like you said, almost every day thinking like, are we gonna need to have the surgery? Is she gonna figure this out? But also like finding hope in the things that are going well and and, you know, really fighting for her. And I just want, you know, I think it's a really beautiful thing that you've given to her.
1: Thank you. And I I think like it's also so, it's been so important for me to, to grieve like what we haven't had. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's such a kind of healthy part of, um, you know, when, when things don't go right to like, really like take time to, to sit with those feelings too. Um, and I definitely did my fair share of kind of, you know, mourning what, like, what wasn't like what we didn't get. Um, and, and it's a balance, you know, like I, I didn't want to like, stay too long in that because we did have so much to be grateful for. And there was so much hope, but, um, you know, Scott and I, we spent, you know, a lot of nights, you know, crying our eyes out, leaving the and, um, and even since she's been home, just, you know, it's different. Um, it's not, it's not what we imagined. Yeah
0: you're absolutely right that it's a balance you know finding finding room for both that that grief and that acknowledgement of of what isn't and what has been lost to mm-hmm. to be frank and yet also embracing and celebrating you know what is and and even embracing those challenges for for what they are it's it's a tricky balance to find for sure i think we mm-hmm. often find that people are you know on on either end, you know, they're, they're either really, really, really stuck in the grief and aren't able to kind of, you know, to move forward and to integrate that into the, the, the now the what is, or we see Mm -hmm. the people that are just, you know, all rosy and aren't able to, to, to dive into that, that loss at all. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Absolutely. I, um, you know, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but I, I'm a marriage and family therapist intern and, when I moved up to um, where we're at right now, outside of Sacramento, I started working at a um, nonprofit that um, has a focus in perinatal mood disorders. Mm-hmm. So I was working with a lot of um, uh, postpartum depression, anxiety, and PTSD around, um, you know, around you know, with with parents, and had worked with um, parents of that had experienced prematurity, and so that was sort of what I that was all that I knew of. of you know, having a premature birth was yeah. maybe more of the traumatic um, side of that, um, and so fortunately, when I was in antepartum, there was there was the antepartum support group, but there was also a um, postpartum depression group um, or perinatal um, mood depression group that the day after Will okay, my um, I signed up for and, and met with um, the uh, the psychologist that ran it because I just knew like. I'm not going to be able to get through this, um, you know, on my own, like I'm going to need someone to talk yeah. to and, and have that support and really wanted to get ahead of that, um, as much as possible. And, um, and I'm, I'm grateful that I had that resource, um, cause it really did help to, um, to just share, you know, like, sh- you know, what, what we were going through mm-hmm. both the happy things and the hard things. Um, mm-hmm.
0: It's so great that so, you knew you needed that resource, you know, that it was available yeah. and that you were in a place to, you know, to reach out for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So Ingrid, you've been home with Willow for just a few weeks now, right? Is it about. Uh,
1: We've actually been home uh, for almost a month and a half. Okay. Yeah. We, um, yeah. We're coming up on two months in a couple weeks. Um she is, um, so with prematurity, they go off of, um, their actual birth date and then their adjusted birth date, which would be her due date. Mm-hmm. So her actual birthday was June 15th. And she, she, so she's four months and one day old. Um, that's her actual, um, birth date. And then she's about three and a half weeks adjusted. So, um, you know, when she hit her due date, it was it's so weird because now it's like the clock starts and she's, you know, what what we would consider like a term baby, like a newborn if I brought her home. This is these are sort of like the milestones that she might be doing. Um so it's it's interesting to kind of look at it both ways. Like on the one hand, she's four months and on the other she's you know, she's brand new. Yeah. Um, or she, you know, she would have been if she was born. Um her due
0: date yeah and just developmentally where she's at is kind of similar now to obviously different in other ways as well but you know there there I'm sure similarities you're recognizing to what it would be like if you had a three week old
1: absolutely and when we went to um you know all of her doctor's appointments and and we're getting some um uh physical therapy and things like that. They they developmentally they look at the milestones based on her adjusted age. So they're looking at, you know, as if she's a three week old. Is she doing the things that, you know, a normal three week old, quote unquote normal three week old would be doing. Yeah. Um so yeah, she um so she's we've been home about a month and a half and um we went for her cardiologist appointment. Um About two weeks ago and her PDA is getting smaller. So we are looking at not, not, not doing surgery at least, um, for the next six months, um, which is great news. And, um, she does have some silent um, reflux. So she's dealing with, um, GERD and Mm -hmm. that has been probably the hardest part of bringing her home is app. It started about a week before she came home from the NICU. She started having some bad, um, Reflux. Uh, Yeah, reflux and and aspirating because Mm -hmm. of it. And so, you know, we're kind of dealing with with those challenges. But um, I don't know. I feel like we've, from what we went through in the NICU, it kind of like prepared us to like weather some of these more difficult, you know, experiences. Um,
0: Yeah.
1: And we just feel grateful. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm sure that you would rather be without this knowledge, but I do love how you're like a walking NICU dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've got it all.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah. It it kind of like it stuck around after it got drilled in. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, day after day, and um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm I'm hoping that it like recedes into you know, like I no longer need to have it storing, you know, stored in the forefront. But yeah, that that sort of it's weird. That was sort of part of coming to terms with her being in the NICU was the first week I wanted nothing. I didn't want to research anything. I didn't want to like learn about anything. I just wanted to be and be with her and be present. Mm -hmm. And because we didn't know if she was going to make it, I mean, it was really, you know, it was, it was scary. Um, and after about a week it was like, okay, I'm ready. I want to know what they're talking about. I want to understand. And we went out and got, um, you know, different books and, and started, um, you know, kind of researching so that we could also advocate for her because there were a lot of things that they would, they would talk to us about. And we wanted to be informed, you know, with yeah. some of the choices and, um, you know, interventions.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think it is hard too. once you open up that kind of can of worms, you can hear all kinds of stories. And I, I think, you know, in the sharing of your story in this platform and also in your personal life, more people will want to talk about their journeys no matter the outcome whether you know they lost their baby or um how the baby is doing now it kind of opens all that up as well so right and
1: it's so important to have that dialogue for Scott and I we didn't really know anyone that had had a premature baby mm-hmm. um, and since we've had her we've realized we know a lot of people that have um you know maybe peripherally or or you know connected through you know, a friend of a friend, but those connections were so important to us. Um, when we were starting our, our, our journey in the NICU, um, we met with a mom the first week that had had that delivered twins at 23 weeks. Um, we got to meet the, like the 23 weeker, um, she's seven now and, and she's the surviving twin. And so we got to sit with her Mm. as she shared about the loss of, you know, of, of, um, of her, her daughter and, and, And also, you know, kind of the journey that she's had with the surviving twin. And, um, and it was, it was powerful and it was helpful. Um, it was emotional and I'm so grateful that we've had, we had that contact because there were times that, you know, the doctors would suggest something and I'd, I'd text her and say like, do you know anything about this? And, um. In fact, her daughter had the ligation for the PDA and she told me it's going to be so much harder on you than it is for her, you know? Mm-hmm. And so just knowing that, um, and, and towards the end of our stay, we were actually able to, we had a couple 27 weekers and a 28 weeker come into the pod that we were in. And Scott and I were able to, um, kind of make friends with these, you know, new parents. And, um, one of the nurses brought them over and said, like, would it be okay if they saw willow? because at that point she was like 35 weeks and, you know, you know, four and a half pounds and, you know, she's doing good. And um, to give them hope, like, this is what, you know, this is, you know, we're at the end of our journey here in the NICU. And this is, you know, this is like the end result. Um, Mm. It's not going to, you know, it, hopefully, you know, it's, it's not going to be quite as scary um, towards the end. So that felt really powerful to be able to um, offer that, um, experience and, um, you know, for other people as well. Yeah, Yeah.
0: for sure. So Ingrid, if there's something that you could, you know, feel like you really took away from your time in the NICU, whether that's support that you received or, you know, internal, you know, kind of, Um, accessing of your, of your intuition or any, you know, anything that you really feel like came from that time. And then as you transition to home, you know, for anyone listening to the show who might go through a similar experience or who might be in, you know, in the midst of that right now, is there something you'd like to share with listeners to encourage them in, in a time like this?
1: Yeah, I think for me personally, like I said, I really worried that Willow wouldn't wouldn't know me as her mom, Mm -hmm. um, with so many different nurses, you know, coming in and, and not being there, you know, all the time, we weren't able to be there all the time. I really worried that we wouldn't bond or that we wouldn't have, you know, like I wouldn't feel attached to her. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I would just encourage other moms to, you know, if they're able to, to kind of put themselves out there and trust that, um, you know, that, that, it's it's a powerful thing being a mother and that, you know, even just my voice, like she would turn to it. And, and, you know, when, even before her eyes were unsealed, like she would like kind of tor- turn towards my voice. And, um, at first it was kind of constantly reminding myself, like I'm her mother and that's, you know, like, that's an important role. And then as, as time went on, you know, I was kind of able to feel more and more like, um, secure in that, um, that she, she knew me. And, um, so yeah, I would, I would encourage as much kangaroo care as possible because it's so good for moms. It's so good for, for the baby. Um, it's so good for dads, Scott, you know, it was funny, the nurse, Scott was like kind of self-conscious. He goes like, well, I have a lot of chest hair. Is that going to irritate her? And Mm -hmm. we had a nurse, she goes like, they just love it. They like, you know, kind of like nestle into it. And it's true. Like to this day, like Scott walks around shirtless and holds Willow and she, she loves it. Like that was such an important part for him not being able to like, you know, he wasn't, you know, I'm pumping, I'm giving her my milk, like, you know, for him to, to have a, A to feel like he would. connection. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I would just say to to trust that um yeah. Yeah, that the bonding will come. Um it it's maybe not going to look how you imagined it mm-hmm. to be, but yeah.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us Ingrid. It's just it's an incredibly moving story and just hearing mm-hmm. your your grace and and presence through it all. You know, I think, I think that it's so impactful to hear just how, how you were able to, to, to really sink into the experience. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you guys so much. It's been an honor to kind of share and um, it's been healing as I prepared to do this, you know, to kind of reflect back on where we've come and where we're at right now. So yeah. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely.
2: Yep. I'm glad she's home yeah. with
1: you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah, we can't wait to share this with everybody. And for those listening, we are going to be doing a couple of different episodes about prematurity awareness this month. So next week, we will be sharing another story of some uh, premature babies that had a NICU stay as well. So stick around for that episode next week. And thank you all for listening today.
2: Thanks for listening to Mother Birth Today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us on iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Laura and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.